Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. What's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. And we have another guest on the podcast today that I'm extremely excited about. And I think a lot of you guys out there should definitely pull out your, your pens and your notepads for this one because a little bit about our guest. Our guest today um, is one of the first Latina-owned food and beverage companies to raise over $1 million. Um, and there's, there's not many Latinas out here that are really hitting that milestone. And to put that in perspective, there's only been 90 Latinas to do that ever in history, which is which is crazy. When, when I found that out, it's absolutely insane. Um, and you know this company has grown pretty quickly they've reached over a thousand doors with using zero dollars in marketing budget that was probably about a year ago uh, i'm sure they've reached a lot more doors uh now so uh today we've having the the founder the co-founder of agua bonita on the podcast which is a latina owned company that makes a hundred percent real fruit juice real fruit agua frescas excuse me out of resource out of reuse uh produce welcome the owner kayla to the podcast how are you doing today hi i'm doing good yeah i'm super excited to chat with you today just about everything we have definitely grown a lot um from even just a year ago yeah absolutely i know some of these these this, some of these stats that I, I looked up and found um these are from like conversations and articles from about a year ago so i'm sure she's had some updated information since then but uh, one of the things that before we jump too 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 deep into it, one of the things I'm curious about is, I know your your headquarters is in Central California. Now I grew up in Northern California and also lived in Southern California. So anytime, you know, I, I'm we just driving through Central California. We don't ever stop. You know what I'm saying? So I'm curious, is that where your family's from? Was this a strategic move to have your your headquarters in Central California? Talk to us about that. Yeah, you know, no one ever really stops here um, because <laughs> it's like I always say, like, it's not like the sexy tech of the Bay and yeah. it's not like the sexy people of the South. It's just like all of this ag land. Um, but my family is from here. Um, so a couple generations ago, my family immigrated from Mexico to Texas and then they followed the migrant farm work, which led them to Central California. So. Like I said, it's a lot of like orchards and dairies and things like that. And so wherever there's fruit on a vine, someone needs to pick it. And it's often mm -hmm. um, Hispanic laborers. And so mm -hmm. that's how my family settled here. And when I started the company, it was mid pandemic. So, mm -hmm. you know, no one was moving around too much of anywhere. Yeah. And it's been um, strategic, I would say, a little bit to stay here for as long as we have. Um, but it's it's nice, you know, it's mm. it it lends itself to a lot of our business success. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Before we get into, um, you know, the pandemic and you starting the business, I'm curious about your upbringing and living in Central California. Did you guys ever visit, you know, Southern, Northern California? Did you guys just stick around that area? And if you did visit, what did you think of it? You know, like it's I always tell people if you've been to California, if you live there, the north and the south is like two completely different states and in fact california yeah. can be like three different states if you if you cut it up but yeah. uh, 
yeah, talk to us about your your upbringing in Central Cal California. Yeah, so I live in a really small town, um, like the kind of town that you know for a long while only had like one or two high schools, you know, we still only have a couple high schools. Um, and it's like one of those places where everyone really knows each other, uh, which is like for better or for worse. So um, I actually like kind of hated it when I was younger um, mm -hmm. because just everyone knew everyone and it just yeah, like yeah. felt like repetitive a little bit. Um, and so when I graduated high school, I was like 17, 18, um, I moved to New York City um, to go to school. And so um, I, that's where I started my career too, um, working in just like food and beverage and sales and marketing. So I actually moved around quite a bit. And so when I first came back to California, I lived in Southern California. Um, I have some family in the Bay Area, so I'd go up mm -hmm. to Northern California, but so I have, I've been in big cities, um, for a good while. I like in New York, mm -hmm. I lived in New York for five years. Um, and I just wanted that because it was so different from what mm -hmm. I grew up having. But now that I'm older and, um, I moved back just a little bit before the pandemic mm -hmm. because my grandparents were getting older mm -hmm. and, you know, people start getting sick and stuff. Um, so it was nice being back around family when I hadn't been around them for, you know, eight years or so yeah um Love that. so again yeah so talk to me what so usually i ask people like you moving to a big city what did you learn what did the big city teach you right but for you i'm curious since you moved back what did you learn moving back to your hometown moving back to where your family's at you know what are some you know some things that you've learned in the process i think it's really just about the mindset i think like when you experience a bigger city and like the hustle and bustle of that and just like the cultures of of those big cities that's mm -hmm. not something that like ever leaves you and it gives you a way of thinking about how other people live and how other people do things um that has really like influenced some of mm -hmm. the decisions that we've made with my business right so i come back and I know that it's a good business decision. The cost of living here is a little bit lower. We source fruit locally. And awesome. and this, the, the local um, Central Valley has a lot to do with like just the inspiration of our entire company, even, even being a company. But, mm -hmm. you know, we start structuring it with the mindset of like, okay, um, but how do we make this appealing for people in LA and people in New York and you know just mm -hmm. it just broadens your horizons on how um, I think that you operate from a mindset point of view. No I, I love that for sure so fast forward a little bit to 2020 mm -hmm. um, here comes a time that nobody knows about uh, the pandemic hits and you know what I what I love about a good pandemic story like your guys is like you took an opportunity of un uncertainties and you didn't know what was going to nobody knew what was going to happen right <laughs> how long we were going to be locked down and you decided to launch a beverage company walk us through that process what made you want to do that like what i mean talk to us about the courage that it took for you to do that i mean that's it's uh that's amazing you know what i'm saying to, to step out on faith like that to do that thank you um well, yeah, right before the pandemic, I had been working for Coca-Cola for a while, and that's where I learned, like, the business of beverage. But I also realized that, like, you could have an idea at a big corporation like that and just, like, never see it come to life. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to help 
um, smaller businesses, you know, with what I had learned on the corporate side. So I started um, being a consultant for food and beverage startups. And that's what I was doing when um, the pandemic rolled into town. And I think like that experience um, of being a consultant taught me that behind the scenes at a lot of startups, like it's just crazy. Like, you know, mm -hmm. it's not always as zipped up as you might think it is from yeah. an outsider's perspective. So it gave me the confidence that like, oh, I, I could do something like this if I really wanted to. And then the pandemic rolled into town. Um, my clients that I was working for um, shut down and I just had more time on my hands that I had been used to in all the previous years. And so I took it as a we joke and say, like, when life gives you lemons, make aguas frescas because mm -hmm. we took it as an opportunity to, like, create something that I just really wanted to see exist. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted it to be a reflection of myself and my family and my culture and just see how far I could get with it. And even if it didn't work out, it didn't matter because there's a lot of things not working out for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So, like, what did I have to lose? Even if it didn't work out, I would still be on the same level playing field as everyone else. So, I think the only thing that I would lose is not taking the opportunity to do it. No, I love that perspective. Um, so, did you have this idea working at Coca-Cola? No, um, okay. I actually didn't have this idea until really well into the pandemic, um, gotcha. a few months in. My uh, mother-in-law, she was home from Mexico, um, and she would make us aguas frescas like every single day, mm -hmm. um, and we would make them a lot in our home. And growing up, I always had aguas frescas. Like my grandpa would bring home fruit from the fields and make aguas frescas. And so when my mother-in-law was home, it just really reminded me of like, wow, I just wish I could have this all the time. Mm -hmm. And and reminded me of my grandpa and my childhood. And then I was like, wait, this actually doesn't really exist in the commercial format mm -hmm. that I wish that it did. And why doesn't it? Like people love Aguas Frescas, you know what I mean? And that was really when like the inspiration struck of like, okay, like use your time and work on, work on that. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. So the idea comes, you have the time to work on it. Uh, what, what, like, what's the first step to go into it? Like, and what, what is your vision of the company? Did you envision it to be in over a thousand doors initially, or is it just like something that you wanted to try to do? Uh, what was your vision like? And, you know, what were like the first couple of steps to, to, to get the ball rolling? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, I think initially you really have to sit down and think about the like product market fit and mm -hmm. you know you might think that it's a great idea but like is there legs for widespread um adoption and i think you know kind of just doing some market research kind of helps either solidify that or not um and then with beverage in particular there's a lot of technical things like you can't just make something in your kitchen and then sell it to people you mm -hmm. know like you really have to like get a food scientist, get a formulation team. And th that stuff costs money, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's like, you also have to have a little bit of risk tolerance to like, okay, am I willing to bet my life savings that this will work out? Um, I I was willing to bet, bet that, you know what I mean? Um, but it was just because I felt really convicted. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think you just have to realize that like, it takes time. Um, like, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, no matter how quickly you're working on something. And yeah, like that, that growth, getting those 
thousands doors and stuff like that, it's, it's just not going to come right away. Mm -hmm. So be realistic with yourself about it. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to us about these food scientists, anybody out there that's looking to start their own beverage or food company. Is that the step they have to go through? They have to go through a food scientist. And what does that process look like? Or, you know, what exactly are they doing? Yeah, you're going to have to find um, a formulation team that has a, a food scientist on staff or like uh, a food scientist that just does consulting. But it'll depend on, you know, what your product is and the parameters with which you mm -hmm. can produce it, because not everything is um, made on the same type of machinery and different packaging really dictates like how you can make things right. So like, I chose an aluminum can because aluminum is infinitely recyclable and mm. um, just the most likely to be recycled. But in all honesty, like picking a plastic bottle would have been way easier way um, just because of, you know, the process to make them. But you can't really understand the process that it'll take to make your drink until you talk to a food scientist. You know, mm. they might tell you like, oh, yeah, that great thing that you want to put in a wine bottle not gonna happen you know what i mm. mean like mm. so definitely the first step uh but yeah that i love that so uh, i love for you to talk about the the testing process like right you you kind of mentioned it is there people out there that are willing to to buy the, the the product and whatnot does it even taste good do people think it tastes good i think a lot of times that entrepreneurs we go with what we think is right when we need mm -hmm. to go with what the consumer and what the customer wants, right? And what the market is looking for. So I would love for you to break down that process of you just testing out your product. Who are you testing it out on? Are you sending it to people? Um, you know, I'm curious how you were collecting these, these data points to figure out like, is this the one to sell? Yeah, I mean, that is a really fine line to walk and a balancing act. Um, when we started, um, I worked with a team that had, you know, certain attributes that they wanted to hit, right? Like no added sugar, um, mm. this many calories or less, blah, 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 blah. But when you're using real fruit and real ingredients and trying to achieve a taste profile that like people are already somewhat familiar with, um, sometimes those things just don't align. Like it might sound great on paper to be all those things, mm -hmm. but your drink might be nasty. And there was, <laughs> you know, like some stuff that we put out that did not taste good. And mm -hmm. it took so like- you, you actually, not to cut you off, you actually sold it, like you put it out? Yeah, yeah. And okay, I mean, okay. that's part of the process too, is like giving away samples for free just to mm. get feedback, you know what I mean? I think that was like a big part of things. And like, taste is so personal for mm. every person. So I think like, you know, you're always gonna get those people that are like, oh, this is great, or this is terrible, you know? And just like trying to like deduce like, okay, who is my customer and what do they care about the most, mm. you know? And like make something for them, you know? Because if your scope is too wide, you're never gonna get a consensus. Mm -hmm. And if you're just trying to like hit a bunch of like marketing mm -hmm. buzzwords, like that's mm -hmm. also not gonna work. Um, so I think there's a fine line between producing something that like is really authentic to you, but is also made with like your consumer in mind. And we're yeah. still like fine tuning things. I think, I think our next production which will hopefully be like our last golden recipes, you know, forever mm -hmm. and ever. But that took us like 
two and a half years to even mm. to get there, you know, and lots and lots of testing and lots and lots of feedback. And sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. Yeah. So how much how much feedback or how much input do you have on the taste of your product, of your own products, right? Like I said, we may think it tastes phenomenal, but the master says this this ain't it. So how how much of an imp- impact do you have um, on the tasting process and all that? Um, I mean, I would say with our newest production coming out, um, that is definitely influenced by my tastes. Gotcha. Um, with with you know a lot of the feedback that we've that I've gathered throughout the years in mind, I would say like when we started um, the company, that really was not a lot of my um, my taste infused in that. It was more of like okay just trying to mold it into something that we thought other people would like. So I think it just like develops over time. Um, And like, I am a consumer, like a target consumer of our brand, but not every founder is a target consumer of their own brand. Mm, So I think that that's like important to, to realize too, is like, in this case, I am, you know, the people that I talk to. And I think that's been part of our success is like, I'm building a community of people that care about the things that I also care about, but that's not true for every founder and every brand. I love that. So like the whole, the whole target consumer, it's obviously very important because for instance, one thing that I drink all the time is coconut water. Mm -hmm. Uh, I try to drink it for the health benefits and whatnot. And for me, I mean, I think it it tastes phenomenal, but for someone like my wife who who hates coconut, it's not mm-hmm. going to work out for her. But I love that you're like, look, it's, we're really trying to figure out who our target customer is and cater towards them. So for you guys, who is that target customer? And like, what's that avatar? What do they look like? Uh, maybe where do they live as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple. Um, without like getting too in the weeds about it, I think mm-hmm. um, our consumer is typically younger, um, right? Like, I don't imagine I will ever convince or convert like my grandma or my mother-in-law to s- start buying prepackaged aguas frescas, right? They're just going to make their yeah, own. Right, right. Like, they're going to make it at the house. Know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're just like, what? It Like, no, you know? So like that is obviously not our target consumer. But um, like me and my partner, right? Like we are a lot younger and like we value convenience and um, we can't have 80 grams of sugar per serving, mm-hmm. you know? So like we are a part of, you know, that kind of target consumer. Um, one misconception that we get all the time is that like we are um, a Latino brand for Latinos and like that's mm-hmm. it. And that's not true. Like um, right, a big right. a big portion of our consumer base is, but there's also people from other backgrounds that just like, love Mexican food, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would say like tacos are not just for Mexicans, right? Like everyone loves yeah. tacos, right? So it's that same idea that there's other people from different backgrounds that maybe just like the flavor profiles or they want to try something from a different culture or they don't like coconut water, but they want to try something like, oh, pineapple cucumber, but I can still get all the same health benefits. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, let me try it. You know what I mean? So it looks different depending on where we're at love that love that um switching gears a little bit i would love to talk about raising funds and pitching a little bit if we can um Mm -hmm. you know 
I, I was reading and listening to a couple of your interviews. Uh, you actually won every single one of your pitch competitions that you've ever been in, which is <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it's great. That's awesome. You know what it's I'm saying? It's crazy. It's crazy yeah. to hear someone else say it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you like Michael Jordan with six rings right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, but I, I love, but what I love is a gentleman asked you like, what basically what's the secret sauce? Like, how'd you do it? And I love your answer. You contribute a lot of your, obviously all the wins to um, the success of your story, the brand story and how relatable it is to people. And obviously that you guys also have a very unique product in the marketplace. Um, I would love for you to touch more about the, the pitch competition, maybe give some people out there some advice, you know, where can, where are these competitions at? How can mm -hmm. they pitch themselves? And, you know, maybe just like a rough structure um, to help, you know, our people, you know, get funding as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's sort of like three things I keep in mind anytime that I go in to pitch. Um, one is really, yeah, your story, right? So like my story, I grew up in a small town, in central California, um, like migrant farm working family. My grandpa would bring home fruit and make aguas frescas. Uh, he would he just couldn't stand to let it go to waste. It'd be super ripe. And instead of throwing away, he's like, I'm going to put some use to it. Now that's what my company does. We take upcycled fruit, make aguas frescas, don't let it go to waste. And we make some fun flavors. You know, we have mango habanero, watermelon chile, you know, very cultural staples, right? It's, it is a relatable story because there's a lot of people that, um, can see themselves in that, right? Mm -hmm. Like their family did the same thing or they came from a migrant farm working family. Um, so I think your story is always important because that's where the audience is gonna draw a connection to you. But I think being aware of who your audience is helps you highlight different parts mm -hmm. of your story that matter, right? Like if I'm oh, talking good. to you know, um, a group of consumers, then the origin story might be much more important. But if I'm talking to a group of investors, mm -hmm. it might be more important to talk about, you know, the wins that we're having um, or like Numbers. how this product fills a need in the marketplace. Right. So mm -hmm. like knowing who your audience is, is always going to like structure how you um, how you tell your story. That's good. And yeah, so I would say those are the two things like you know your story and then know your audience so that way you know what parts of your story to tell. And then the third thing is really just like practicing timing. Um, you really only get so much time, especially in like pitch competitions. It's usually like three minutes or less to mm. say everything that you want to say. Mm. And you don't want to like leave off without kind of like hitting home, you know, like that that big finishing portion right um so like practice your timing because the more and more you practice it you'll understand like oh that resonated with people that didn't like just leave it and and keep going um and i think those three things are really the only things that i took into every pitch competition um mm -hmm. and have served me well enough was just like mm -hmm. what's my story what does the audience care about in my story and how succinctly can i tell them these things Mm. And how, I mean, that's phenomenal, but how important is like tone in the way you deliver the story? Is that important to you? Um, yeah. you take that in consideration? Okay. Yeah, it is, you know, but I, I have always pitched 
how I talk. So mm -hmm. like the same pitch that you get on the stage is the same like conversation that you're gonna get from me off stage, mm. you know? You and are. I think that's important um, because people wanna talk to a real person. They wanna mm. see a real person, you know? So don't, if you don't know what certain words mean, don't use those <laughs> words, you know what I mean? Um, because then people are gonna ask you about it, yeah, you know? Ask, yeah. So, yeah, and then what are you gonna say? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, and like, yeah, I mean, I, like I put some humor in some of my pitches too, you know, just depending on the audience. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just like very important to be your authentic self, um, mm -hmm. you know, as much as you can. So yeah, tone is important. Yeah. yeah I love that. Um, are most of your, were most of your pitches uh, in person, were they virtual? And are you still like actively looking for to pitch in more competition? Yeah, so most of my pitches were virtual because a lot of it was still during the pandemic. Um, though I did do a few towards the end that were in person. Um, and nowadays I don't do too much like public pitching in terms of like mm -hmm. um, chasing grant money. Although I do have, I have a couple big ones um, coming up later this year i can't share it just yet but um yeah so i since we are kind of up and running a little bit more i spend more of my time pitching to investors um mm -hmm. to get capital versus um grant competitions but mm -hmm. grants are always great i mean it's, it's free money it's free money you don't have to give up any part of your business you yeah. can use it how you want like it's it's a really good starting point for a lot of businesses yeah, and so we're gonna touch on uh, fundraising in a second, but I want to hit on like where were you looking to find these pitch competitions at? Like, if someone's out there listening, they're like, the, obviously the money's out there, but where are some practical places people can go? Yeah, anywhere, anywhere, and everywhere. Like, if mm. you're on Instagram all the time, like start looking up pitch competitions. Like, you know, like your algorithm will tailor to what you're looking for you know yeah, so if you're spending yeah. hours on instagram start looking up grants start looking up pitch competitions start following like community funds stuff like that you know what i mean i spent a lot of my time on instagram finding um pitch competitions mm -hmm. and then also just like googling things right mm -hmm. like the power of google is is right Endless. there at everyone's <laughs> fingertips like I would stay up late at night just Googling stuff, you know, and a lot of the pitch competitions are like annual, right? So like they happen mm. every year, put it on your calendar or so you know when to submit. Um, and then just the the more and more you get plugged in with communities that are like giving back, right? Mm -hmm. um, the more and more you'll see those opportunities start to pop up. But I mean, it, it wasn't anything special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine as well, LinkedIn would probably be a great place. Oh where oh, yeah. people are business-minded, there's groups in there. Um, it would be a great place to look for uh, pinch competitions as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so shifting gears a little bit, I'd love for you to break down a little bit of the difference between, you know, just pitching grants and those type of competition to actually raising capital and raising funds. Um, love for you to break down that difference and, you know, what's the process? Like, when should somebody look to raise funds for their company? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that looks different for everyone. And I think it depends on like what your goals are, you know, like mm -hmm. if your goals are like aggressive growth and you know that you're in a capital intensive, um, industry, like you're probably going to have to raise money a lot sooner than 
some um, other folks, right? Um, and I think that when it comes to starting to fundraise, that pitch looks a lot different because there's a lot more um, analytical aspects that go into it, right? Mm -hmm. Like really painting the big picture for people of what the opportunity is, not just because you feel like it's a good one and you have a good product, right? You have to show them like, this is the data that the market says, you mm -hmm. know? And this is the size of the market opportunity. And like, this is where we fit in. And if I get this many openings and I can do that based on past performance, or I'm already doing that, um, if we have your support financially, this is where it can go, you know? So I think it's a, it's a balancing act between like the big inspirational picture and then supporting it with like, but this is, this is the numbers mm -hmm. to, to back it up. And this is where we can go. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, how important is it's just knowing your numbers as a company when you're pitching to investors? It's super important. And mm -hmm. honestly, like it's an area of improvement that mm -hmm. even I like am always trying to get better at. Like not everyone is going to be great at every part of their business. You know what I mean? Um, but I think as a founder, like you really have to push yourself to be, especially when it comes to numbers. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're not that good at them, like you're going to have to get familiar with them, you know, you work on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, we can start wrapping this thing up a little bit. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about Agua Bonita. And I know you got some cans behind you. I'd love for you to talk about like the different ingredients you guys offer, uh, maybe some of the health benefits, you know, what makes it stand out from the other products in the market. I'd love for you to, to tap into that. Yeah. So Agua Bonita, yeah, we have a few cans right here. This is one of our first ones. This is pineapple cucumber. Um, so we make, you know, slightly sweet aguas frescas in really bold and fun flavors. And we have about 80% less sugar than traditional offerings, but still 100% of that flavor. And when I say like bold and fun, I mentioned earlier, like we have flavor profiles like mango habanero and watermelon mm. chile, um, but then also some classics like pineapple and just sweet watermelon and agua de Jamaica. So mm -hmm. we balance like that traditional cultural aspect and then the modern, more fun cultural aspect. Um, but yeah, it's really just about clean ingredients. We don't use anything artificial. We use real fruit, which is a big difference. Um, and we use a lot of it. So mm. industry standard, like if you were to get something like a Spindrift, um, and we're not sparkling by the way, but Spindrift mm. has like three to 5% juice, right? And a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, it's real fruit juice, um, which, which is, it is, you know what I mean? Um, but we have like, 30% um, real fruit juice. So it's not just mm -hmm. like a hint of flavor. It's like, okay, it's this fair. is this is hidden, you know what yeah. I mean? So um, yeah, we just wanted to give as authentic an experience as we could, but in a modern way and have some fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. And where can people uh, buy the product at? You know, are you guys on Amazon yet? What stores are you guys in? What states? Yeah, so, you know, this time last year, we were getting ready to go into like 50 stores, mm -hmm. all in California. And right now we're getting ready to go into almost 2000 stores. So we've grown wow. a lot in a short amount of time, but you'll be able to find us um, in, in just a couple months in Whole Foods all over the country. 
um, Targets all over California, and then 7-Elevens in select markets. And then um, if if you're in um, like a Midwestern state or something like that, I would just always check like the local natural grocery stores mm-hmm. um, because we're in a lot of like mm-hmm. natural accounts too. But Whole Foods oh. Target and 7-Eleven are some of the more recognizable banners. That's that's amazing. I'm out here in uh, Dallas, Texas, so I'm gonna be looking around. Make sure yeah, see if I can find go to Whole Foods. I'll, yeah. we'll probably be in um, 7-Eleven in your neck of the woods. I was just in Dallas to visit 7-Eleven not that long ago. So oh, really yeah. awesome, awesome. Oh, because the headquarters is out here. Headquarters. Oh, is yeah, it, uh, it's right by the airport. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> um, Kayla, I, I really appreciate the time. I appreciate the the gems that you dropped on this this podcast. It really means the world to me, and I, I really want to like give tip my hat to you because you're doing an amazing job um, creating a strong representation for our community, which is very much needed. And um, you know, we created this platform to to give people like you a voice, right? And so we can also support you as well. So, with that being said, uh, where can people reach out to you if they want to follow you, if they want to keep up with your your company and so forth? Yeah, um, Instagram is great. Uh, it's at Drink Agua Bonita. So that's our company one. Um, if you want to hit me up for anything, any questions, stuff like that, mine is um, So Fresca, So Clean. Um, mm-hmm. So you can find me there. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm pretty active too. But I mean, we're really responsive across all platforms. You'll get yeah. a real person. So just follow us, hit us up, and um, yeah, just keep up with us. Yeah, and I'll link everything in the description of this podcast. Uh, which, with that being said, you guys know, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Latin Wealth. Share this podcast episode with one of your friends and family members. And with that being said, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace out. Thanks.